The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 7. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Amen to that. Okay, we're in Joshua chapter 3. It's verses 14 through 17. This is entitled, And the People Crossed Over, Part 2. So, 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters came down from upstream, stood still, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. In Numbers 14, the people failed to believe the Lord. They complained against him, and they rejected him. The typology clearly pictured Israel's rejection of Jesus. Because of their faithlessness, they were sentenced to turn into the wilderness where none of that generation save Joshua and Caleb would enter into the inheritance. 
the next day they decided, here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But the Lord had already spoken, and the sentence had been pronounced. Instead of trusting the Lord and having him lead them, they decided it was by their effort and works that they would take the inheritance. This is what Israel has now done for the past 2,000 years. They rejected Christ, which was clearly pictured in that Numbers 14 sermon, and they decided to make up their own plan of salvation through works. After the people were turned to the desert to wander, God gave them a provision for salvation when they had been bitten by snakes in the wilderness, looking to a bronze snake on a cross, picturing Jesus. That was given to show any Jew since the coming of Christ that he could be saved if he looked to Jesus. But it is only an individual salvation. The nation, all of them who have not come to Christ have perished and will someday be cast into the lake of fire. But there is a time when the nation as a whole will enter the inheritance. That day has been anticipated in all of our sermons since Numbers 14. With Moses, the law, dead, they will enter. They will now have what was lacking in their attempt to enter after their sentence. Our text verse comes from Numbers 14. It is verse 44. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. The ark was not with them, nor was Moses. In Christ, Israel has both. He is the ark and he is the embodiment of the law of Moses. With him at their head, pictured by Joshua, they will enter. It is Jesus Christ and he alone by which man can enter into the inheritance. Then it is by him alone that all Israel will someday be saved. The typing of this sermon actually got started some years ago, probably around the Numbers 14 sermon. I was looking at this passage from Joshua and noticed a pattern that will be revealed in today's sermon. I sent it to Sergio and Rhoda, and Sergio, responding for both of them, said this about what I sent. Cut off! Woo! And then Joshua 3.16 says it was cut off by Adam, by the Dead Sea. And the words used there are cut off and finished. Tom, just like Christ had said, it is finished. And the word for dipped in Joshua 3.15 says the priest's nitbeli, same word for baptism. This is incredible. Never underestimate Sergio and Rhoda's zeal for the Word of God. And I will tell you that we've been waiting for this sermon now for all of those years. And last night, we had a celebration together with some things from the Jordan to share with each other because of that. They brought them all the way from Israel so that we could have an evening together before we had this sermon. And I will tell you before I go on that Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 are so beautiful in what they picture. They're so marvelously wonderful. I hope you will understand the typology I'm going to present to you today because it is the final part of what Israel has missed for so long. I have held on to their comments since then, Sergio and Rodas, and have anxiously awaited putting all of this together. I certainly hope you will enjoy what God has placed in his word. Before going on, it is true that modern Hebrew is not the same as biblical Hebrew, but there is overlap, and there must be a common understanding of biblical concepts in translations. Hence, what is presented here does not violate the typology at all. It is clearly supportive of it. These are words of surety for Israel, and thus they are words of surety for us. 
If you are struggling with the idea of eternal salvation, you should not. What God is doing is not about your faithfulness, you unfaithful soul. It is about his. Cast off the arrogance concerning your or another's inability to remain saved. It is not about you. God has made the promise. God has done the work. God has given the pledge. If it were about you, and it is not, you would lose your salvation. Don't poke at the Lord's covenant looking for holes in it. There are none. Great things such as eternal salvation are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is on dry ground. It is verses 14 through 17. Verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp. The symbolism being conveyed is lost. It says tents, not camp. And it was in setting out the people from their tents. The word translated as set out means to pull up and relocate, especially the pulling up of tent pegs. That is what occurred when the people left Mount Sinai in Numbers 10 and began their journey to Canaan. It is the final pulling up and heading out on that long, arduous trek, a self-inflicted wound, by the way, that began 40 years earlier. Although getting ahead in the narrative, we are told the exact day that this occurs in Joshua 4, verse 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. This is an important day. First, it is exactly 40 years to the day from the event recorded in Exodus 12. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for that lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The first year was spent at Sinai, and then the people departed, disobeyed, and were sentenced to exile. It is 40 years to the day from when the lamb was selected as the Passover until the people are to pass through the Jordan. Further, this is exactly a period of 14,000 days to the day after the people set out from Mount Sinai, as is recorded in Numbers 10. That we will review when we get to Joshua 4 next week and the week after that. For now, the purpose of this pulling up and setting out is, verse 14 continues, to cross over the Jordan. La'avor et hayarden, to pass through the Jordan. The word avar signifies to pass over or through, but it is certainly to be rendered as through in this case. There is no bridge. Rather, the waters will cease and the people will pass through to the other side of the descender. The people will go through, verse 14 continues, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. As we have seen, the priests symbolize Christ in the performance of his duties. The Ark symbolizes Christ in his person and what that specifically speaks of is concerning the law and his death in fulfillment of it. To more fully appreciate this and grasp what is being conveyed, 
reviewing the Exodus sermons concerning its construction are necessary. As for these things, verse 15, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and according to coming, those bearing the ark unto the Jordan. This means that as they bore the ark, according to the moment they arrived at the Jordan, at just this moment, but which is next further explained, verse 15 continues, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark, and feet the priests those bearing the ark. As soon as the bearers of the ark arrived at that spot and, verse 15 continues, dipped in the edge of the water, had immersed in extremity the waters. The word is taval, normally translated as dipped. It means immersed. When one dips, the thing dipped is immersed. Hence, it is the same word used in the Hebrew New Testament when translating the word baptize. Likewise, the word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which signifies immersion, not sprinkling, not pouring, but immersion. Verse 15 continues, For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. And the Jordan full upon all his banks all day's harvest. Here's a new word, gada. It comes from an unused root signifying to cut off. Hence, it speaks of the bank or border of the river as it is cut into the stream. The water is full upon all its banks, meaning that it is actually overflowing. This is because of the rainy season now mixing with the melting of the snow on Mount Hermon. All of this water is flowing into the Jordan, which descends through this single gorge all the way back to the salt, meaning the Dead Sea. The harvest being referred to now is the barley, not the wheat, as is seen in Exodus 9. Here's what it said. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. That the flax was in harvest at this time has already been seen in Joshua 2, verse 6, where it was noted that Rahab had stalks of flax arranged on her roof. This would have been for drying them after harvesting them. In other words, the account is precise, and there is no doubt that it was as is now described. This doesn't mean, however, that the waters were not overflowing through the wheat harvest as well, and it can be inferred that they do. Today, this is not the case. So much water is drawn off from the Jordan for agriculture that it is no longer that way. But there is no reason to assume that the overflowing didn't last much, much longer in the past. And because of this immense flow of water rushing to its termination in the Salt Sea, the miracle which will now be described is all the more pronounced. At the very moment the feet of the priests were immersed, it came about, verse 16, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. A verb being used as a noun here is what we see. And stood the waters, the descenders from above. What this means is that the waters ceased flowing where the priests are. However, this does not initially occur at this spot where they stand, making the event even more miraculous. The water stood, verse 16 continues, and rose up in a heap, I'm sorry, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. 
kamun ned echad harchek meod ba'adam. Risen heap one, far very in the Adam. What this means is that the waters actually stopped earlier in time than when the priest stepped into the water. In other words, the water is backed up in a location very far upriver. If the water's backed up a long distance away, then the water that was cut off continued to recede from that point as a full flowing river for a certain amount of time so that when the priests stepped into the flow and the water stopped for them, it was when the receding water from above finally reached them and passed by. As such, the miracle is all the more pronounced. The Lord knew exactly when the feet of the priests were going to step into the water. Planning for that event in advance, he stopped the waters upriver to accommodate this occurrence. It is irrelevant how he did this, but it is still not inappropriate to speculate. Maybe he caused a log jam. Maybe a tremor caused a slope of rock and gravel to produce a dam, and so on. Even if a natural explanation, like at the parting of the Red Sea, exists, where an east wind is said to have caused it, the miracle is that it occurred at exactly the moment specified by his word. The name Adam is the exact same in Hebrew as Adam, the first man. That, in turn, is the same as the word Adam, signifying man and mankind. Next, the words in the Adam are explained as, verse 16 continues, the city that is beside Zaratan. Ha'ir aher mitzad tsartan, the city which from side Zaratan. The name Sartan comes from a root signifying adversary or oppression. The N at the end is believed to indicate place of. Hence, the name means place of oppression or place of the adversary. Verse 16 continues. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea, Vehayordim al Yam Ha'arava Yam Hamelach, and the descenders upon Sea the Arava, Sea the Salt. The word Arava comes from the word arav, meaning to become evening or to grow dark. This is identical to arav, meaning to take or give on pledge. Hence, this can be typologically paraphrased as, and the descenders upon the sea of the pledge. The narrative goes on and explains what the sea of the arava means by saying, see, the salt. The words are being precise to definitively show us that it is the salt sea that is being referred to. The fact that two names are used is also a very clear indication that typology is being provided for us to consider. The waters, verse 16 continues, failed and were cut off. Tamu nikratu, finished, cut off. This is speaking of the waters, the descenders that are coming from above and flowing to where the Dead Sea is located. The words are extremely precise concerning what is happening, even before Israel's eyes. With this complete, it next says, verse 16 continues, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Veha'am avru neged Jericho, and the people crossed through in front of Jericho. They are directly facing Jericho as they pass through the Jordan. The word neged comes from nagad, signifying to be conspicuous. As such, it means the part opposite, and thus a counterpart, or mate. Because of this, it is used to describe a helper for Adam. 
And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, comparable, that word there, to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the beasts of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable. Once again, that same word to him. As such, that translation can mean exactly what is here in Joshua. There is the historical event and the people cross through in front of Jericho, but there is also what is typological and the people crossed through comparable, meaning suitable Jericho. Verse 17, then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. And stood the priests, bearers the Ark, Covenant Yehovah in dry. It is the same word used in Exodus 14 concerning the parting of the Red Sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and he made the sea into dry land. That word, and the waters were divided. This standing in dry ground is explained with the next words. Verse 17 continues, in the midst of the Jordan. Betok hayarden haken. In midst the Jordan established. What is debated is whether the priests remained standing in the spot on the banks of the river where they had first stepped, or did they enter into the riverbed after the water stopped once the descending water was gone? This is actually important to at least consider. Many translations say in the middle of the Jordan. A couple paraphrase it saying in the middle of the riverbed. This may give a false impression. If the priests stood where they first touched the water on the overflowing banks of the river, the in the midst of the Jordan may not mean in the physical middle of where the river flows, but in the middle of where the river had flowed. In other words, midst may be referring to between the cutoff waters. Half was cut off upriver and half continued downriver. Hence, the physical separation of the waters is what is being described, not the middle of what is a normal flowing river. No matter which, though, this was a sign of safety and security to the people that the waters would not suddenly break loose above and drown them. The Lord, represented by the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, stood in the crossing to ensure that the people were, in fact, safe to cross. For the sake of clarity, the word kun, it's haken here, or established, was placed in the previous clause by the New King James Version, translating it as firm. However, it is standing alone in the Hebrew, thus providing emphasis. It is a common word that signifies to be firm or establish. Despite it being common, it is an important one to consider when we are done with these verses. Verse 17 continues, And all Israel crossed over on dry ground. Vekal Yisrael overim becharava, and all Israel crossers through in dry. The meaning is obvious, as literally millions of people cross over below the ark. They were all able to do so in a spot that was dry. It is the same word just translated as dry in the first clause of the verse. Further, as has been seen before, the word translated as crossers through is a verb that is identical in spelling to the word ivrim. 
or Hebrew. Thus, this can be, and it should be, taken as a pun indicating just that. All the people that cross are Hebrews. The crossing through continued, verse 17 finishes with, until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. The word people is not appropriate. The word ha'am, the people, was used in verses 3, 5, 6, 14, and 16. This is a different word. Translating as people completely destroys the typology. Adashur tamu goy la'avor et hayarden, until which finished the nation to cross over the Jordan. The entire nation of people who are there safely cross over while the priest stood and bore the ark in the midst of the Jordan. The miracle is complete, and the record of it stands as a witness to the world of the miraculous workings of the Lord on behalf of the nation of Israel. This is the day we are headed into the promised land. Christ has done it all for us. Look at the waters taken away. See how they stand. Look at the marvelous work of our Lord Jesus. We shall enter in and receive the promise today after so long our eyes are open to our Christ. He came and did it all, and now we behold the way. It is Jesus alone who for our sins was priced. Glory be to God who has done such things for us. Glory be to our Lord who has opened to us the way. Praise be to our God, yes, our Lord Jesus. We shall enter in. Yes, today is the day. Our second thought is pictures of Christ. How does one present the future in a way that will explain exactly what will happen, but also in a way that can be easily hidden away from those who are not yet ready to see it? The answer, as we have seen time and time again in the first five books of the Bible, is through typology. Israel was given the law. Israel failed to enter into the inheritance, and Israel was punished and sent into exile, remaining under the law. Moses could not enter the inheritance because he typifies the law, and it is clear in understanding New Testament theology that no one under the law can obtain the inheritance without what is offered in Christ. As such, Moses had to die outside of the inheritance. But Israel, under their Messiah, typified by Joshua, who is the leader of his people, will enter the inheritance now that the law is dead. That is the marvelous story that is seen in chapter 3. The years of punishment and exile are over. This chapter is pointing to Israel of today, set to enter in. They are not yet ready, but these words of Joshua show us that it will come to pass. There was a period of three days from the time of the command until the time of the entrance. As we saw in verse 1, it literally reads, in until three days. This is what Hosea prophesied concerning Israel's time of punishment. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. There is a time when Israel will be healed. It will be after two days, meaning after 2,000 years. Go see Psalm 90 verse 4 and 2 Peter 3.8 if you don't know what I'm referring to. 
and it will be on the third day, meaning in the third period of a thousand years, the millennium. What needs to be understood is that Moses' death signifies the ending of the law. I just started reading a translation of the Bible this morning, or actually yesterday morning, the Hallelujah Scriptures. Somebody sent it to me. It's a Hebrew Roots Bible, but I still want to know what they have. And they say that the new covenant is a renewed covenant. I'm telling you that that is not what it is. The old covenant is obsolete. It is annulled and it is ended. It is a new, meaning new covenant. You've got to be very careful with these Hebrew roots people. Person that was in that Senate to me and he says, I will not read this Bible. I started in that and I've learned that that is wrong theology. Do what you want with these. And I thought I'll read it just for the sake of understanding what they have to present. But be careful with that. I'll read this again now. What needs to be understood is that Moses' death signifies the ending of the law. That happened at Jesus' time. Hence, the three-day period now given explains that. As such, the typology of Numbers 14, where they rejected entrance into Canaan and went into exile even until the time of Moses' death, is typologically included in this three-day period. But more. During that time, individual Jews could be saved by faith by looking to the bronze serpent. Thus, it is the same gospel as that proclaimed to the Gentiles. One gospel for Jew and Gentile. So much for hyper-dispensationalism. All of that time between Numbers 14 and this event now is like an insert story that is seen again and again elsewhere in the Bible. It is at the end of this 2,000-year period that the promises to Israel will finally, finally, finally be realized. So much for the church replacing Israel. I'm sorry for replacement theologians, but this is exactly what is being pictured. Remember when I said that they translated the word wrong and they said all the people went over? It doesn't say that. It says, and the nation went over. The nation the people are moving from Acacia Grove, Hashitim, to the Jordan. As we have seen in previous sermons, including Joshua 2, the word Shittim is derived from Shotet, a scourge. That word is used only once in the Bible. It's coming up in Joshua 23. There it says, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges, Shotet, on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. It is also true that the law itself can be equated to scourges simply because by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Joshua 23, the people of Canaan are equated to scourges who would afflict Israel. Thus, the scourges are that which draw the people away from faith in the Lord and to that which is false. The law is what caused Christ to be scourged for his people, and it is what Israel has been under. With Moses dead, they are now leaving the law, something that is going to happen when they call on Christ someday. That's what's being pictured right now in this Joshua 3 sermon. From the law, they are going to Ha-Yarden, the Jordan, meaning the descender. It is a picture of Christ. The descender starts at Mount Hermon, meaning sacred. It is Captain Snow all year long, signifying purity. It is emblematic of heaven, the sacred place. The water then descends to and passes through the area of Dan, or judge. Christ descended from heaven to the world to be the judge of sin and to have sin judged in him. The waters flow south into the Galilee. 
where they linger. Christ's life and ministry were centered on this area, where he lingered, spending most of his time recorded there. The Jordan then travels in a very long, zigzagging path along the border of Canaan. Christ the descender went all through Israel, traveling and preaching. The Jordan terminates in the Salt Sea, the Sea of the Arava. It is the Dead Sea. Christ the descender went to his death, but there was no corruption found in him typified by the salt of the Salt Sea, a picture of incorruption. In his death, the pledge typified by the Sea of the Pledge is given. It refers to the spirit the pledge, the Arabon, from the Hebrew Erevon of Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the Arabon, of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. From this sea... The waters do not continue on. Rather, they evaporate, a picture of the resurrection and ascension. As for the fulfillment of the typology, Jesus himself expressly tells us that he is the fulfillment of what the Jordan pictures. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Though modern New Testament Hebrew is different than biblical Hebrew, there are overlapping words. In the Sar Shalom Hebrew translation of Jesus' words, Ve'yarati, and I have come down, is used. The name Jordan is from the same word, Yarad. Jesus is the descender. He left heaven. He came to the earth, and all of it pictures him, every bit of it. Next, the ark was introduced in verse 3-3. As was explained, that pictures Christ. He is the embodiment of the law. The priests who bear it picture Christ in his work bearing the sacrificial and priestly requirements of the law. The people are told that when they see it, they are to get ready to move after it. There is to be a space of 2,000 cubits between the ark and the people. Some say the distance signifies the 2,000-year interval already mentioned, but that's already been dealt with. Though ultimately the same, there is more in what this is pointing to. Rather, this is known as a Sabbath day's walk, and it anticipates following Christ into his rest, as indicated in Hebrews 4, verse 3, where it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. That is explained by the idiom that was used, Ki lo avartem baderek shom. For know you have passed through in the way from yesterday, day before yesterday. This more perfectly explains the time from Christ until Israel enters. It is a way of saying, this is not something you have done before. But typologically, it is the two days, the 2,000 years, they, as a nation, failed to follow Christ. The people sanctifying themselves in verse 5 signify their preparing themselves mentally, turning their hearts to the Lord and away from the law of Moses. The external rites that came at the giving of the law of Moses were ineffective in changing the people, weren't they? Instead, they must have their hearts properly directed to Christ's fulfillment of it. In verse 7, it was said that Joshua would be exalted in the eyes of the people. This is pointing to that time when Jesus, of whom Joshua is the type, will be exalted in the eyes of Israel. That verse contained a strong emphasis that they may certainly know. 
there will be no doubt when Israel at last comes to their Messiah. He will finally take the place of Moses in their eyes. Yes, you can say woohoo again a thousand times over. In verse 10, it referred to the waters being stopped up as a means of telling that El Chai, a living God, is among them. This is exactly the purpose of Christ's incarnation and his work, to prove that he is the living God and that he is among his people. He's not like the dead gods of the nations, but he is the Lord of all of the earth. It is he, Jesus, the embodiment of the law, who is going before the people as the descender, God in Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ, when the typology is understood, is inescapable. In verse 13, this was again clearly seen in the words, Ark, the covenant, even Lord of all the earth. The Ark of the Covenant, meaning Jesus, the embodiment of the law, is Jehovah, God incarnate, the Lord of all the earth. It clearly anticipated the incarnation, where the physical is merged with the spiritual. In verse 14, it referred to the people setting out from their tents. This is a picture of Israel leaving the tent of the law, the Ohel Moed, the Tantor, tabernacle of meeting, to come to Christ, who is the true tent or tabernacle that the law only prefigured. From John 1:14, and the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of an only begotten of a father, full of grace and truth. Though it is actually found in chapter 4, we saw earlier that this is said to be taking place on the same day that the Passover lambs were selected. They were lambs that were accepted only after they were deemed to be without blemish. It is reflective of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Israel will come to realize that Christ is the one who these pictures anticipate and they will come to him. This is what is being pictured. It is exactly 40 years to the day from that original selection of the lambs. 40 points to the action of grace. Five, leading to and ending in revival and renewal. Eight, that's E.W. Bollinger. Israel was given grace by not being destroyed. They are now arriving at a time of revival and renewal. In verse 15, the priests, Jesus in his work, with the ark, Jesus the embodiment of the law, came to the Jordan. Jesus Christ, the descender, and their feet dipped. They were baptized into the edge of the water. In scripture, the placement of the foot signifies possession. Where the foot stands, that place is the person's possession. You can go to Deuteronomy and Joshua, and it notes that several different times. I've got them all listed for you in the notes. The priests symbolize Jesus in his duties. When his duties are complete and his soul rests, the waters life are cut off. The significance of the feet being baptized is that they then represent the possession of the waters into which they stepped. Hence, even though the people will pass through on dry ground, it is as if they are being baptized in their passage through. This concept is seen explicitly concerning the passing through of the Red Sea in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Likewise, in the death of Christ being pictured now, believers are baptized into him. 
he says in Romans 6. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? That is what is being pictured right here. The people were baptized into Moses, and what happened? Their bodies died in the wilderness. They were under the law, and they could not save themselves. But these people are being baptized into Christ. Life. Hence, these people typologically anticipate Israel of the future, being baptized into Christ as they pass through the descender, Jesus, and into the promised inheritance. Further, this was when the river was overflowing during the whole time of harvest. As it says in verse 315, it overflows all his banks during this time. The harvest is the time of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself said. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there is still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. It is at this time, and when the priest's feet are baptized into the descender, Jesus' work under the law, filled with the Spirit of God, that the waters, the descenders, stood and rose in one heap, very far away in the Adam. Water symbolizes life. The life of the descender, God in Christ, is standing all the way back in a heap to Adam the man and thus all who are in Adam. If Noah was in Christ, he is included in this. If Abraham is in Christ, he is included in this. The waters descended all the way back to the first man for all who are in Christ. It is the fulfillment of the promise to man even from the time of the fall of man. It is why Adam named his wife Hava, life. He anticipated the life that was lost but which would come again to quicken the dead of humanity. When Christ was baptized into his death, that life was gathered all the way back to our first father. All the faithful since then have been included in it. Luke 12, 50, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Christ performed his work under the law, the priests, the priestly role. He embodied that law, the Ark of the Covenant, and in his death, the waters of the descender, God in Christ, stopped and reverted all the way back to Adam for fallen man in order to allow any who have believed or who will believe in him to pass through. As for the location, Adam, that is said to be beside Zaratan, or in Hebrew, Tsartan, the place of oppression or the place of the adversary. Whichever is closest, the meaning is obvious. Spiritually dead man has been vexed and he has been oppressed since the fall when Adam was expelled from Eden, where Satan, the adversary, did his work. The waters backed up to revive those in Adam who come through the work of Jesus Christ. Think of Job. He wasn't even in the covenant people of Israel, and yet God has called him because of the work of Jesus Christ. You can get rid of so much heresy that is in the church with this one typological passage that we're seeing in chapter 3, and we're going to see a lot more in chapter 4. The heresies that have gone on in the church are dispelled. The church replaces Israel. Hyper-dispensationalism, on and on and on. The typology tells you it's a lie. With that, the waters downstream of the priests, standing with the ark, went all the way down to the Sea of the Pledge, the Salt Sea, 
It is a picture of Christ after his being cut off in death. He remained incorruptible in his death. Peter says that explicitly in Acts 2.27. And it is through his death that the pledge, the Holy Spirit, is received. It is in the death of Jesus, the cutting off of the waters, symbolizing life, that these things came about. As it said, the waters tamu nikratu, finished, cut off. One cannot help but see Jesus' fulfillment of the law in this. There are several words that signify finished in Hebrew, such as shalom, kala, and tamam. Each is very close in meaning. The word here, tamam, is in accord with the idea used in John 19, where Jesus says, it is finished. This word is used to indicate the end of the words of the Song of Moses and the end of the words of Job in his discourse. It was also used when speaking of finishing the work of the pillars in the temple, and so on. It signifies finished, come to an end, complete, and so on. The next word, karat, or cut off, is used when speaking of death. In this case, it is death in the cutting of a covenant. Here are the verses needed to understand this. The promise of a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make karat, cut, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's Jeremiah 31, 31, where the word karat is used and it is seen in the fulfillment of it in Hebrews 8, 8. You can get rid of Hebrews root movement right now with that. Then the cutting off of Christ. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be karat, cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary the end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. And then the fulfillment of the law by Christ. This is from John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, tamam, said, I thirst. And then it is finished. John 19, 30, tamam, finished. The cutting of a new covenant in the blood of Christ Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That's Luke 22. The word karat would have been used in Jeremiah 31, 31, which he refers to there. In Israel's realization that Christ died in fulfillment, Tamam of the law, and then cut karat, a new covenant in his blood, they will then, finally then, cross through his death and into the promise. This was seen in verse 16 with the words, and the people crossed through suitable Jericho. They are now suitable as a people because of passing through the descender, which is because of the cutting off of Christ in fulfillment of the law, that they will be a people suitable for the place of fragrance, restored perfection. The priests, Christ's work with the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, Christ the embodiment of the Covenant of Jehovah and the fulfillment of the law, standing in dry, a picture of the death of Christ is what allows the people to pass through. Of them it said, Betok hayarden haken, in midst the Jordan established. As I said, the word haken, kun, meaning to be firm or established, is an important one. 
Christ's work being established is what then allows Israel to be established. This is seen in Isaiah 54, and it refers to the future when Israel will come to Christ. There the word kun is used. It says there, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. This is speaking of the future, folks. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness, you shall be established. Kun, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. And all of that that I just read you is based on what is said in Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. Paul cites this in Galatians chapter 4, explaining that this is a metaphor for Sarah and Hagar, representing the two covenants. Those of the old covenant are in bondage. They are not established. Those who are part of the new covenant are free. They are established. They are a part of the Jerusalem above, Galatians 4.26. This is just what is being seen here. Israel is being established in Christ by passing through his death. This is seen elsewhere as well, such as in Jeremiah 30, verse 20, where the same word is used again. With this understood, verse 17 said that all Israel crossed through on dry ground. It contained the pun on the word ovrim, crossers over, which is the same as ivrim, Hebrews. Those who had rejected Christ are not true Hebrews, but someday they will be those who cross through Christ and it will be all Israel. The anticipation of Israel's redemption is that the nation as a whole will come to Christ. Paul speaks of that day, which is yet ahead in Romans chapter 11. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul is not saying that all Israel of all time will be saved. Rather, he is saying that Israel, the nation, all of them will be saved when they as a nation call out to God through Christ Jesus. This is what is being seen in verse 17 with the final words of the chapter, Adashur tamu kao hagoi la'avor et hayarden, until which finished the nation to cross over the Jordan. Every person and the entire nation will be saved. This is the culmination of what has been anticipated for the people since they turned away from believing the Lord all the way back in Numbers 14. And it will be the culmination of what has been needed since they turned away from the Lord's Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he came. Last week, I told you about the four causes, and I used the name Joshua in those four causes. I'm going to change the word to Jesus now and listen. The priests bearing the ark Jesus' work under the law is the material cause. Their entry into the Jordan, the people's entry into Christ, is what makes the thing like wood in a table to be. The formal cause, the design, is the parting of the Jordan, the death of Christ in fulfillment of the law. The efficient cause, what brings it about, is the Lord's presence working in and through Jesus. And the final cause, the purpose is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus in the eyes of the people. This is the marvel of what God is doing in Christ. It is not two Gospels, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles, as some heretically claim. 
It is one thing for all people, faith in Messiah going all the way back to Adam. But along with individual salvation, there is also the promised national salvation of Israel. Anyone, Jew or Gentile, can be saved today through the finished work of Jesus Christ, very clearly depicted in today's passage. However, national Israel will also be saved, meaning every one of them when the nation calls out to him. This is a promise to no other nation, and it is given to demonstrate the covenant-keeping faithfulness of the Lord to those he swore to keep as a people forever. But this also shows the nature of his covenant-keeping for all. Just as he has kept and will continue to keep Israel despite their unfaithfulness to the covenant, so he will keep us in Christ. The surety of our salvation is tied up in the surety of Israel's national salvation. If he will violate the agreement made with them, then our salvation is just as dubious. But the story in Joshua 3, man, it's already written, folks. I'm just giving you the analysis of it. It tells us that Israel will be saved and will come into the new covenant. Paul tells us this as well. And the apostles go on to show us that this is the same faithfulness that we can expect in Christ. If you're a Christian who believes that you can lose what God has promised you, your theology is lacking and your faith is not properly directed to God in Christ. Rather, your faith is tied up in your own supposed righteousness. As such, you should probably question your own salvation. Don't lose out on the reward, but trust in Christ, rest in Christ, and be confident in Christ. I will tell you, we have cleared up so much heresy in the church today. If people would just look at the typology, you would see all of these false teachings. And like I say, I I try not to be too hard on replacement theologians of the past because they don't see Israel. All they see is a couple Jews here and there. And they're like, well, but they should have known because the Bible says that they would be restored. They should have known. And there are theologians throughout Christian history that have been firm and dogmatic that Israel will be a nation again. So hats off to them for understanding that. Today, replacement theology is inexcusable in a church. The people are there. And what do they do? They say, well, that's not the same people. Okay? Or they make up other things about them. It is inexcusable. Hyperdispensationalism, it's an inexcusable heresy. They're telling you that Jews are saved one way and Gentiles are saved another, and there's two different gospels to these people groups. I'm sorry. That's refuted right here in Joshua 3. That Jesus is not the fulfillment of the law and that there's a renewed covenant that we need to be obedient to? The old covenant? The Torah? I'm sorry, that is a heresy. It is done. It is finished. Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Gentile. You must have your theology right because people will tear you away from the surety and the hope that we possess. Don't let them do that. It's all right here in Scripture. God wants us to be content in Him and to rest in Him and to be joyous in Him. It is not about you. You get to participate in what it is about, and that is God's glory for the people of the world. His glory. His righteousness. His majesty. It's not about us. Hold on to Jesus. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. Pictured. In Joshua chapter 3, this is what Jesus Christ did for you. All you have to do is accept it. Believe 
and the waters of the descender that went all the way back to Adam will also cover you and you will end up down in the sea of the pledge with Christ incorruptible for all eternity. This is what the Jordan is picturing. This is what the story is telling us, the glory of God in Christ. Don't miss out on it. Don't miss out on it. Our closing verse comes from John 10. Therefore, my father loves me. There is a father and there is a son. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Did the human Jesus have the power to take back his own life? The divine Jesus did. When he says, I have the power, it's saying, I am God, and I am not the Father. Theology really matters, folks. Next week, Joshua 4, 1 through 14. It is Christ's blood that atones, and it is done. It is entitled 12 Stones. Part 2. Part 1. Part (laughs) 1. He got way overexcited there. That'll be our seventh Joshua sermon. He didn't practice this week, apparently. That's okay. Just keep saying that. Next week, you'll get it right. How's that? Because there's only two sermons in that chapter. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose purpose for you. Not a porpoise, a purpose. Although we have porpoise that come by the docks. He has a porpoise for me sometimes in the morning. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Did everybody enjoy what was presented there today? Unbelievable. Don't, don't clap to me. Praise the Lord. He's the one that wrote this wonderful book. Next week, we'll get the introduction like we did last week. And then the week after that, you'll get the answer to the 12 stones. And once again, I can't tell you how exciting it is. How absolute, It's like this one. I've been waiting for, how long has it been? Eight, uh, four or five years since we were in Numbers 14? It's been a long time. They sent me that email, and I've been saving it at the bottom of every single sermon that I've typed. It's been there, and I just cut and pasted it to the next one for years. The joy that we've had over what is pictured in these sermons. Okay, I've got a question. It's not going to be easy. But it answers your question that you asked me this morning. There's a $50 gift certificate waiting for you if you get this. John 1 tells us where John was baptizing the name of the place. Where was it? The Jordan. The name of the place, not the river. What? Can I say? Okay. Oh, the name of the place. The name of the place. Oh, yeah. You're getting close. You're getting close. Wait, wait. Beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan, Bethany beyond the Jordan, but in Hebrew it was You're you're close enough where you're gonna get this. No, 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 no. You're close enough where you'll get it. This is important for the next series, the Joshua four series, Bethabara. Bethabara. The house, the house of crossing through. Everybody see the typology already? 
I told you it was going to be hard. Uh, yes, yes. I was very embarrassed for him. I had to give it to him. He was struggling. So he won't take it. All right. Well, then we're going to, we got two more to go. But it was very good. Excellent. You were very close. Beth Ibarra. I read it this morning. He read it this morning. Oh, you, you never get to compete again. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. I got a short poem and we'll get going. And the people crossed over part two. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan every Tom, Dan, and Gordon, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water that did the Jordan fill, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan, as you surely know, so the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. By the waters they were not tossed, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had over the Jordan completely crossed. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Oh, I was going to pray and I'm not going to. We got to get Sergio up here. Let's see here. I remember why I remember this. Last night when I was doing the video yes. about the thing, and I was making the research and it's of the location where this happened. And the New Testament says, um, Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was uh, and Jesus was baptizing. But then in Joshua, is that name. Yeah. And they believe it's the same spot. But same spot. And you know it is because it's the house of crossing through, which we just saw and we will continue to see. Next. Marvelous stuff. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for your precious, wonderful word. And thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to Israel. There they are right now, going to war against other people and going to war against you. They're rebelling. Their hearts are wicked. They're just like all the rest of the people of this world. And yet you are continuing to be faithful to them. And you've given us these stories to show us in advance that you're going to do these things and they will come about. Lord, Thank you for your faithfulness to your unfaithful people, even each of us. Thank you, Lord God. And Lord, we say a special prayer for Israel, as well as the people that we mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that are struggling with their own pains and troubles. Lord, be with your people, all of your people, according to your wisdom and according to your greatness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.